I'm positive that you got the fish pinned. You, you did you did your job. Uh, I'll have the angler get the fish under control. I'm never putting the the line on the reel. That drives me nuts. Uh, don't put the line on the reel. Pin the fish. You got it. I would say the lightest tippet outside of that terrestrial stuff when we're going going super technical. Uh, lightest tippet I'll run is 12. So I'm using 12 pound fluorocarbon, 16 or 20. You got that fish pin. I'm confident you got it. I'm going to say, all right, man, I'm going to push into it now. That was Mike Schultz talking about closing the gap on huge smallmouth bass, the native trout of the Midwest, today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you've been enjoying this podcast or listened to a few episodes uh, recently, please take a moment to leave a rating and review for the show. This only takes a moment to leave a quick review and helps, uh, helps me to understand that I'm on the right track. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash review, and you can see how to leave a review on, uh, I think we have a focus on Apple Podcasts there, but it'll be the same for uh, most of your apps. Click that uh, review rating and review button. Thanks in advance if you've already left a review. Mike Schultz, the main man behind Schultz Outfitters and a leader in the smallmouth uh, bass uh, fly fishing field, breaks it all down today. We find out how Mike fishes for smallmouth given changing river flows and conditions, how to present the fly, and a bunch of other great stories that will help you hook up with more gigantic bass this year. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, and paddlers from all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. Head over to wetflyswing.com Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, to get started right now. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly to get started right now. So, without further ado, here is Mike Schultz from schultzoutfitters.com. How's it going, Mike? Good, brother. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, thanks for coming on here. This has been, uh, I always talk about some of these podcasts that have been a long time coming, but I've had... Uh, your name's popped up quite a bit over the years and, uh, you know, finally getting you on here. I think maybe Greg Senyo was the last guy that uh, your name popped up on the show. But, uh, yeah, we're going to dig into uh, everything you have going with the focus on smallmouth bass. But, um, you know, maybe we can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing before we dig into all that. Yeah, fly fishing. Uh, you know, I was I, I was brought up here in, in Michigan and, uh, you know, the outdoors is a big part of, uh, you know, kind of growing up here for a lot of kids and. I was always exposed to hunting and fishing as a kid. And as I, uh, you know, grew up, spent a lot of time, uh, you know, before between school and hockey practices, watching, uh, OLN and some of those old school, uh, you know, shows with Andy Mill and those dudes. And I always thought that was, that was really cool. And, um, just happened to have a kid on my hockey team whose uh, family was into, into, uh, salmon and steelhead fishing and uh, fly fishing. And they, uh, took me up and, and went up North and, and fished. And that, that was pretty much it. I uh, came back and immediately sought out the closest moving water. And, uh, and, uh, and in that, in that moving water, uh, I found smallmouth bass. So that's kind of how it all got right. rolling. That's right. And you're in, uh, and you're in Michigan. 
correct. Yep. Yep. I'm in a small town, uh, just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan called Dexter uh-huh. and, uh, just live just off the, the Huron river, which is the river that the shop is on about 40 miles downstream from where, uh, we're at up here living. But, uh, yeah, man, kind of been here my whole life lived within, it's kind of lame, but I lived yep. within the same, uh, <laughs> same, same watershed my whole life, even went to, went to college here, uh, close to, close to home. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, homebody. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and, uh, no, this is this is awesome. I mean, we have a ton of uh, listeners. Definitely that part of the, you know, uh, kind of uh, <clears throat> the Great Lakes and all that. It's, obviously, Steelhead is a big. Uh, we have a bunch of Steelhead listeners as well. But yeah, we have smallmouth. I mean, I can't remember. I'm trying to think of the last person on here that mentioned. Um, I think I'm trying to think of the quote. It was uh, I think it was Jerry Darkus said smallmouth bass was like the native trout of the Midwest. Is that is there any truth to that? Yeah, I mean they're they're native, uh, you know, hundred percent wild. It's just uh, you know really cool fish, and when you dig into them and kind of start peeling back the layers, uh, there's a lot of little facets to the game, and uh, you know they're, they're always something that uh, a fish that you you go out and you learn something new uh, more times than not. So yeah, um, yeah, really really rad fish. Nice, and they get. Uh... Yeah, we'll dig into some of the tips and kind of and the size and, and kind of how big some of these fish get. Because, I mean, the photos you guys have on Instagram all look like, you know, it looks like those photos where people are sticking the fish right out in front of them to make the fish look bigger. But, I mean, these are some huge fish, right? You're getting some pretty decent sized fish. Yeah, I mean, a 20-inch a fish yeah. is a big a big fish um, when it comes to smallmouth bass, especially in an environment that we target them. Um, you know, the fish are, are resident They're for the most, they're pretty much all of them are land, you know, locked between, uh, you know, dams and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're not really fishing for lake run fish, so to speak, but, gotcha. um, yeah, man, I mean, if a five pound fish is, is a big fish, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, uh, some, uh, good photography, but, uh, you know, <laughs> when you, when you go out and you, you tangle with, with these fish, you know, a 20 inch fish is the bar and the vast majority of the fish that we're going to be, you know, putting out there 19, 20 inches or bigger, you know, yeah. just, uh, just, a, a you know, something to be proud of as an angler. That's cool. So how did, so you're in, uh, I'm not sure that time frame when you, the exact age when you got going, but I mean, you're fairly young. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like, um, I mean, and how, how old are you now? Yeah. I just, uh, just turned 40 back in January. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're a young buck. That's, that's cool. So, so you're out there, you're going strong. I mean, how did the Schultz outfitters, cause it seems like you guys are leading. I mean, your name comes up a lot when you hear fishing out in that area. How, how'd that come to be? Yeah. I mean, I just been around a long time, <laughs> you yeah. know I mean? Really, uh, you know, uh, started, you know, as a teenager, uh, hanging out at the local fly shop, pretty much begging for a job and, uh, eventually, you know, got the shot. What was your local fly shop back then? Oh, back in the day, it was a shop called Buters, uh, Buters Outdoors. It was in Northville, Michigan. Buters, like B, how do you spell that? It's B U E T E R S in the proper pronunciation. If you don't live in Michigan is beater. Oh, wow. um, but, but when John moved here, uh, everyone called him beater. So he just said, got sick of telling people <laughs> that it was beater and just said, screw it. I'm beater now. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's awesome. Okay. So, so you get going to the local shop and that's pretty much it. You just like any of these great stores, you kind of put your time in and slowly, I mean, when do you, what year did you first open Schultz or did it kind of start in your garage, that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, Schultz Outfitters originally started as a guide service. Um, so the, the shops that I had worked at, uh, previous to opening the store, I'd worked at, uh, you know, a few different shops and all of which are out of business at this time, but, uh, Mm -hmm. they're all primarily, uh, trout, uh, focused, uh, lifestyle focused, 
um, you know, Filson, Barber, Orvis, blah, 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 blah. That was kind of the, the, be- the beginning of it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there never was really a, a hardcore angling shop, you know, they were really always kind of focused on trout, um, you know, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I always thought that was kind of silly because they're sitting right here, you're selling trout flies and you've got, you know, world-class <laughs> smallmouth fisheries that at that time were, you know, fairly untapped with the fly, um, wow. which, you know, really kind of gave me a, a blank slate, uh, to, to get to work. That's amazing. Why do you think that that's such an interesting part of it, right? That, I mean, now, I mean, I don't know, I guess we go and we evolve, but why do you think, I mean, it's with smallmouth, such a resource there, people didn't try it out with, with, uh, with the fly. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think a little bit, you know, thinking about it over the years has to do with, uh, you know, just the modern human and time. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, it's really difficult, especially when you become of age to have children and get married to like, be like, yo, I'm about to dip out for three days to go up North to trout fish. Um, yeah. you know, so just like anything, you know, if you, you play baseball, you probably should go to the batting cages. If you, you're a golfer, you're going to go to the driving range. So I think that's what it kind of originally started out as was just a way to get out and use that gear that you purchased, uh, you know, beyond that once or twice, or maybe if you're lucky three times a year, uh, fishing yep. trip up North. Um, so that's kind of what it started as. And then obviously as, as time progressed, people get more busy and, and, and just, it's just a, a way to get, get your feet wet and, and fish. And then it was like, Whoa, these things are rad, you know, right. and, and, you know, and you go from there from just huh. the basic stuff of going out and just catching them to trying to figure them out and trying to catch big ones and consistently do it. And, there's definitely some appeal to that. Yeah. So basically, yeah, it's like that. And you can just look at generally people up there were, you know, trout fishing. I guess when you think of fly fishing, you think of trout, you know, a lot of people do and probably seeing, you know, photos from Montana or around the, but, but people didn't even really realize like the smallmouth bass. Is that back in the day, was that it? People didn't even realize the smallmouth bass fishery was what it was, or is it just people knew they were there? They just wanted to focus on trout. Yeah, I think people knew that they were there. They just wanted to focus on trout. But, you know, Michigan has great trout fishing. Don't get me wrong. And there are some amazing guides up north that know, you know, every fish under every log. But uh, when you when you look at, you know, the trout fishery in Michigan comparative to going, you know, out to Montana or Wyoming or Idaho, it's 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 not even come close. You know, it doesn't even come close. Um, Sure, we have some giant fish, but we have low, low density for the most part. Yep. Yep. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Just trying to clarify for those that are, you know, in your neck of the woods, it's interesting because I mean, you know, out West, I mean, we have smallmouth bass too. It's a, you know, a different deal, but I mean, they're a super fun fish to catch and and really aggressive. And, um, I mean, I've known for quite a while how cool smallmouth are. So I think it's fun. It's going to be cool to dig in today because I think we're going to focus on just some tips to help somebody, you know, find some more fish. And I know you've had a few podcasts out there in the past, so I'll hopefully try to bring some new, uh, something new to the game today. But, um, but yeah, maybe we just start out, you know, to, to there, like, you know, the water you're fishing. So can you just talk about maybe your home, typical waters you're fishing? And I, I'm assuming we're talking mostly rivers. Is, is that, is that the deal here? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent river guy. Um, you know, I think one thing about our area here is, uh, you know, smallmouth are fun to catch anywhere. Um, but you know, to me going out onto a giant river and just hucking a lead eyed fly and stripping it back is to me is kind of like doing it in a lake, Hmm. you know? So it's not that appealing to me. Whereas what we have here is we have fairly small waters, very intimate settings. Um, uh, you know, at this present time, 
uh, it's pretty uncommon to come across other people uh, mm. on the river. Um, cool. You know, will, will that change over time? You know, possibly. You're definitely seeing more traffic with rafts and the the, 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 the ultra lights that are flooding the market. Um, but you know, that's one thing that's really cool about what, where we're doing it is the environment in which these fish are in. Um, obviously we all know that that plays a huge role in, in, in the fish, um, and how they behave and, and, you know, their food sources and whatnot. So, um, you know, having said that our, our rivers are really set up really well for attacking them with a fly rod. They're fairly shallow. Um, you know, when we're talking about cubic feet per second, how much volume is coming down these rivers, I would say on a normal spring, a river would be pretty big if it got up to 2000 CFS. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's decent. You, you know, so 500 to a grand is, is, is money, um, you know, to make things really easy on everybody. Um, and then as, as they get low or high, uh, many challenges come into play, which makes it, uh, at times difficult. So, um, yeah, the rivers are just set, set up really well and they're in close proximity. So there's a lot of water in this area in southeastern Michigan where kind of the shop is set up in the hub and you kind of shoot off, you know, 15 minutes to an hour and 30 minutes away and you're fishing, you know, tons of water. That's what I was trying to, I was just thinking about. So for somebody who hasn't been up there and without giving out secrets or anything, is there, yeah. uh, you know, is there a kind of a, a main waterway or something you can just to put us in the direction of where you guys are at or what city are you in? Yeah. Where are you guys at? Yes. So, uh, where the shop would be close the, you know, the largest town close to the shop would be Ann Arbor where U of M is at university of Michigan. Um, so yeah, so our, our hub, um, most of all of us live within the Huron river watershed. So all the guides, um, they were all kind of centrally based uh, around Dexter Howell area. Um, and then we're able to shoot off from there. So, uh, yep. you know, we'll rely on s- half a dozen different rivers, okay. um, during peak season, we'll have five guys going every day and you're on six rivers that, you know, one river might be, have 50 miles of, of fishable water. The other one might have 80 miles of fishable water. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're able to manage that. You're able to stick and move. And when you, when you really dialed into flow rates and have an intimate knowledge of these rivers and how they behave at certain times of year, which only comes with experience, you're able to kind of, you know, be on the best water at the, at the best time. Gotcha. Okay. So these are all here on river. These are all tribs, uh, these different size tribs to, to that river. No, no, no. They're just their own rivers. Yeah. They're oh, all, okay. Their own piece gotcha. of water. Yeah. They're, they're all small. So yeah, the Huron is just kind of the main one that the shop is on. We all live off of, I see. um, and then there's, you know, five other rivers that are spread out to the North, to the South, to the East, to the West around here, gotcha. um, that, that we just shoot off to. Okay. Mm-hmm. And are you guys fishing the, uh, I mean, what is one main one that everybody would know about that everybody fishes? The Huron. I mean, that is yeah, the that one is that the most main. people, yeah, that, I mean, I'll, I'll rattle them off if you want. Them. Yeah, 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 rattle them off. This will help, yeah, I think, we, just guide for, especially yeah. if somebody's new. I know I had, we've had a few people, you know, kind of on the West Coast that kind of had some questions about, you know, they're heading that way and stuff. So I think this would help yeah, that yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no doubt. So uh, the Raisin River, um, the Grand River. The Shiawassee, the Flint, uh, and the Huron. Okay. So those are the, and, and what, the Kalamazoo. And the Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Okay. So right yep. now, and I know this depends on water and t- all the variables, but if you were to go out fishing, you know, right now today, and I'm not even sure if this mm-hmm. is a, a great time, but where would you be uh, potentially heading? 
and and knowing that this this podcast will probably come out, but once we get it, it'll probably come out in a month or two from now. So it'll probably be yeah. I mean yeah, dude, we're on like we have there's six different rivers, and I would say today I'm off today. I got a scheduled day off. I got to get ready to rock for demo days. But we'll have three, four other guides on three different rivers. Oh right, you know it's all it's all about water. It's all it, like, gotcha. it's all about the flow. So right now we're in a drought, like it's insane. Oh, wow. Like we're run we're running like August programs, you know when we should be running like six inch streamers and you know aggressively fishing frogs to the bank. So what is August when you think of a good like it is now? It's it's drought. So if you're thinking we're talking middle of summer type fishing, what what is the so again you might fish all those rivers, but is there one you'd focus on or or maybe we could talk about the techniques you'd use for the lower water? Yeah, no, I mean it's funny because you know, I got now pushing, you know, 15, 20 years of data and you're it, every year's different, you know, especially the last five years. It's just been insane how um, you know, the program has changed and like, you look at things that you did in 18, 19, you know, like I, I was looking the other day, a river that we, that we, uh, got right here, the Huron, where, yeah. right where I'm at. Um, I got a little thing that popped up like a, a Facebook memory or whatever, oh, you know, right, and I clicked right. on it, clicked on it and looked at the date. And then I, I looked back and looked at the flows and the river was at 2,500 oh, CFS. Wow. We had, we had, we had an amazing day. Right. And the same day this year, 160. Dang, so, that's amazing. You know, wow. yeah. So I mean, it, it's just whatever Mother Nature gives you, and you just need to be, have your finger on the pulse of that. And um, yeah. you know, but right right now, if I was going out fishing, I would be throwing um, some fairly small to you know my standards, you know, two and a half, three inch uh, hair minnows, like just like the most simple old school hair minnow. And you're pretty much I'm going through water and I'm rotating my water like every two or three days I'm going down the beat that I was, you know, there two or three days before. Mm-hmm. And I, and the way that these fish set up this time of year is they're, they're just coming off, uh, spawning. They're super duper predictable. Um, and nothing is going to move those fish except f- water. And if we haven't had the water, you know, exactly where they're going to be. I mean, I wouldn't say exactly what rock right. or piece of wood, but I would say in a 30 foot circumference, Amazing. that big, big ass fish is going to be somewhere in there that where it was two or three days before, um, you know, so you're, you're, you're kind of hunting fish and, you know, for me with guiding, you know, preparation is, is so huge. And, um, you know, I'm mentally going through kind of my day, um, it, when we get in these conditions, um, you know, kind of checking the box as I'm, as I move down the water and, and, and visiting fish, you know, that I, that I know addresses, yeah. you know, that's, crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's the game. So this time of year for me, it's like, I book a ton of single angler trips. That's like what I really enjoy doing is, uh-huh. is one guy. And what that allows me to do is, um, set up, you know, uh, properly, um, not having to worry about a, a back angler and, and how they're going to be shut out from the angles. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the game, um, Okay, is, is the angles. Gotcha. And you're using, it sounds like you're a uh, fishing with a boat. Is there a way to do this without a boat or do you have to have a boat? No, you can do it with a boat. You just, without a boat, you just have to be super smart, you know, with your approach. I, mean, I think that's one thing about smallmouth bass that, you know, growing up and, and seeing like some of the things that you, you read or hear people say, it's like, oh, they're easy. You know, yeah. it's like, dude. You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. You come and try to catch a giant fish that's sitting in the 18 inches, two foot of water, crystal clear, you know, good right. luck. Good luck. You yeah. better have some thought. So yeah, this can be done on foot. It's just uh, great uh, care and approach. And, uh, you know, 
uh, Jeff Liskey, who I'm sure yeah. you've had, you, you know, yep. Jeff always says, think before you cast, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's so important. It's so simple and sounds so silly, but like most people just get in robot mode and just, you know, go down the river and just, you know, laceration nation going That's down right. the damn thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like any fish, uh, any trout or any, you know, trophy fish you gotta you gotta put some thought into it and your your approach is important so if you think of that fish let's say we got that 20 inch fish i'm not sure if we're on the huron uh huron river or whatever but you're in some shallow water you got a little 18 inch water and it's a big fish how would you how would you uh kind of attack that whole situation take us take us to that situation yeah it it just depends on the the time of year and you know i do a lot of i obviously trial and error (laughs) you know um but yeah, I mean, you can get them in and you get like an overcast day or you got a little bit of wind, maybe a little ripple on the water. You can get away with some, um, you know, more aggressive approach to that fish. But I feel that, you know, anybody out there that's targeting big smallmouth and shallow water, you're, you're going to be better off fishing them on the surface, I believe, you know, mm-hmm. giving them a, pr- a profile versus okay. something to, um, so yeah, I mean, anything from a, you know, an angle where you're, you're shooting, um, you know, short of the fish, but kind of not right in front of it, just off to the side of the fish. Um, and you, you could be aggressive with, a with a, with a hair minnow or something where you're working it across, um, or even, even more stealthy approach where you're dropping down to like a six weight and you're using, uh, a terrestrial with a, like a trout tapered line. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, th- and that's just product of their environment. Like, you know, one, one river has a ton of bait in it right. where the other river doesn't have a ton of bait. And that fish is going to key in on other food sources, maybe whether it's crayfish or, you know, right now, the way the waters are setting up, I would say in the next week, we're going to have pretty ridiculous terrestrial fishing, um, where you're, where you're sight fishing to these fish. Are these like hoppers and ants and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I would go more towards, uh, dragonflies. Oh, right. Dragonflies. Yeah. That's what they really get into. Like, uh, the other day, uh, there was a bunch of, I think they're Dorners um dragonflies are yeah mm. they're like the white and or the blue and green ones mm-hmm. uh, they just they just kind of showed up um and looking back at, i saw them and i'm like man i gotta look at my pictures from last year and june 3rd was a day that was just an epic day that i went out and uh client uh, my bow crushed a bunch of big fish on terrestrials all sight fishing wow you know one river you could throw that hair frog at them or that hair minnow and you're throwing straight 20 pound rope you know to the fish like you're just using yep you know, salt water, fluorocarbon. And then th- another river you might be, dr- it sounds crazy. And I, you would have told me this five years ago to laughed at you and other rivers, you might be dropping down to three X, two X and you're dropping a terrestrial on them with a yeah. 12 foot leader, you know? So, um, huh. every river is different. Every section of river is different. I, you know, people have probably heard this on podcasts before with me, but like, you know, you got to look at all these rivers as rivers within rivers. Like if there's, there's a dam, you know, with a reservoir below it or a dam with another dam, like it's, it's all, it's a whole different ecosystem. Um, you know, it needs to be approached that way. Okay. And, and again, I guess just for ease on this one, thinking of the Huron, is that one, I mean, what's, is that one pretty variable within that river as well? That could be depending on if it's overclassed or clear, if the water, does the water fluctuate quite a bit? Clarity. Uh, the water, the water fluctuates quite a bit, but it's, 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 again, it's a river within a river. So up where I live in Dexter, it's, uh, it's crystal clear. It's coming off five, five main lakes that uh, the river runs through a chain of lakes, uh, which has zebra mussels in it. Oh, wow. And, um, so everything from that down is crystal clear. 
until you get to a creek that when it rains, it gets muddy. Um, whereas where the store is at, it's a totally different environment down there. And then if you move down past the next two reservoirs, it's like clay banks, Ugh. muddy, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a river within a river within a river. It's yep. pretty wild. So, um, you know, having said that the Huron, um, there's a section of river that's less than a mile from my house. That is the only catch and release bass, uh, water in the state. Huh. So back in 1989, some local anglers had the, you know, vision of, uh, creating, a uh, or protecting, I should say, cause the fish were here already. It's not like they created yeah. a trophy fishery, but, um, they, um, had the, you know, vision to, uh, have the state set up some sort of, uh, test, uh, uh experiments and mm-hmm. stuff on the river. And then it was never changed back. So in 1989, they changed it to catch and release for all bass. And, you know, I've talked to people within the department of natural resources, like, yeah, that was supposed to get turned back, <laughs> you know, like after 10 years, but we just left it, <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah. didn't want to do the paperwork. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, that river, the Huron, that section of the river, you know, a very small piece, let's call it 20 miles, um, super technical. Like if you're not on it, you're not catching. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know and that's just saying? because it's just hammered by lots of fishermen. I would say not hammered by lots of fishermen. I would say just high, uh, old fish that haven't, you know, they just don't get capped. They just grow to their, to their max. Um, and it's crystal clear. It's fairly shallow. And then once you get to around this time of year, right around Memorial day, the canoe livery starts and you have fish that are happy and just kind of out in the middle of the river doing their thing and then now you got 150 canoes and kayaks and tubes rolling over them a day so we kind of vacate or you or you're smart about it and you know where to launch and where to be at the right time but um those fish all get pushed off and then they just become either uh you know tucked up in log jams or feed at night you know this totally changed their habits just due to human interaction And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly starts the design process by selecting wood for the handle based on a number of key factors, including grain pattern and depth, but they don't stop there. This piece of art is accentuated by strips of hardwood that complement and accentuate the handcrafted handle. To be honest, I have never been a huge net guy, mainly because I didn't feel like my uh, old collapsible net was easiest to use and was not easy on the eye, if you know what I mean. The Stonefly uh, net not only looks beautiful, but has high quality netting that is easy on the fish and will last for years to come. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that's second to none and can be customized for a little extra touch. For Ethan, the founder of Stonefly Nets, fly fishing has always had a traditional feel going back to fishing the three-weight bamboo rod with his great-grandmother. When Ethan designs a custom net, it's his hope that others will create amazing lasting memories for years to come. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net now. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly, S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y to get started right now. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Okay, well, this gives us a little perspective on it. sounds like the the key here, like you said, is there's a lot of variation. And probably the best thing would be if somebody's come up there to check in with you guys and maybe just get a heads up on on the rivers and how things are fishing. Is that 
Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, figured out yourself when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, it's like, you can, you can tell people whatever, you know, but if they don't know what, you know, it's going to be a rough ride. There's going to be a learning curve, you know, it's fishing, it's real. You can't fake it. You got to go out and put the time in. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. Well, this is good. Well, I think the recommendation I always, I think this is a good one is to come in, you know, stop by, get it, maybe a day guide trip or whatever, or maybe whatever they need, whatever somebody can afford, but get a trip with you guys just to get things dialed in. And then they could always go out later on, on their own. Right. Is, is there pretty, is there some pretty good public water access out there? Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Michigan, the state, you know, we own the, the, the people of Michigan own the, the bottom of the river. Oh, wow. So, uh, you can jump in at any bridge and Amazing. Metro parks and state parks and whatever. Um, you know, having said that, I think, you know, kind of rewind a little bit. It's like, you can find, we pretty much gave away everything, you know? I mean, I always tell people that it's like, we tell you what fly to use, you know, your leader builds, your lines, your, your, the whole, pretty much the whole program is laid out there. If you want to do a little research on other podcasts and this one today, you can find pretty much exactly how we're doing it. Um, but if, unless you're out doing it and seeing it and understanding it and, you know, being the guy that's standing up all day rowing and finding out where they're at and, you know, their, their habits and whatnot, it's going to be a, a little bit of a rough ride. Yep. You know, it is, um, you know, yes, if you can afford a guide to go out for a day or two, uh, you're going to have a much more successful trip, especially yep. if you're attacking these fish on a fly rod. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, we'll be directing people your way for sure. Um, as we get in, but let's just jump into a few more of these. And you mentioned, uh, so on, uh, before we get into a few of these other questions I had for you, as far as the, uh, the catch and release, I'm just curious. So are the fish a lot bigger there, like way much bigger or are they just, is it kind of normal? Just, uh, just, you know, like the, where there's 20 inch fish, there's 21 inch fish. Um, you know, they're, they're big. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, the Huron has, especially in that section of water, uh, population density is not that high. Um, yeah, you know, so, so it hasn't bl- helped. Like the catch and release hasn't really no. made, made this a trophy f- a bass fishery. No, and that, that's that's the that's the environment. You know, what's the food source? You know, yeah. I think it's you know it's kind of gotcha. at max capacity. It is what it is. Where can you find the biggest fish, or do they all these rivers have big fish? Oh, they all have big fish. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. Um, you know, we definitely, as a guide service, have waters that are uh, a little bit easier to fish for beginners. Um, people that aren't the greatest casters or are learning, you know, get, yep. getting, getting into the sport. Um, and then you have other stuff that's super technical, you know, you, you'd be an idiot to take two people down it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, you just gotta, you're watching your back cast. The angles of approach are totally different. You know, you're casting right down the middle of the river, um, due to obstructions and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's pretty neat. We have, you know, kind of programs for everybody. Um, if you're just getting into it you can go out and whale on a bunch of small fish and, and work different techniques and whatnot. And if you're in the mindset that you want to catch a trophy fish, we have programs for that. Okay. Okay. Well, let's just jump into real quick here on the gear stuff. So just for somebody new to it, I mean, what, what is their rod reel line? What are we looking at? Is this a kind of a normal, like six weight sort of program? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, uh, every day of the year, there's going to be seven and eight weight rods in the boat. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of the bread and butter. Uh, I would say, you know, the six weight definitely comes out for certain programs. Uh, but that's more of a presentation thing, not really fighting the fish. You don't, I mean, you, you're better off with a seven or an okay. eight weight fighting seven the eight. fish, but yeah, just, the, the, the lighter line six weight, you know, you can put a trout tape around it or whatever. You're, you're laying out a, you know, a nice greasy cast. It's not splatting down with a, you know, 
33 to 43 foot bass taper, you know, you're laying something out there. So the six weight comes into play. Um, but yeah, it's uh, pretty much, uh, we're, it's pretty simple. We're going to be running, uh, floating lines. They're going to be uh, bass bug tapered lines. Sometimes we run like a Titan taper, which is like a 33 foot head. Sometimes we'll run, um, the, the, um, bass bug, which is a 43 foot head, just an elongated version of that line. That's our floating setup. Um, again, I touched on it, but like, if you want to break it down and get real nerdy and you're trying mm-hmm. to trust real fish to these fish, you might kick it to like an MPX or something like that from SA. Um, and then on the subsurface game is pretty much done, um, primarily with intermediates. Uh, so, uh, we're going to use, um, scientific anglers, tropical clear tip intermediate during mm-hmm. the summer, uh, even now when it's pretty warm. Um, that's going to be a line that the first, uh, the front section is clear and that is, uh, you know, an intermediate line. And then it'll, it'll go to a floating, uh, running line in the rear. And that one has the same exact taper as the bass bug. So it's like a same 43 footer. Um, and then, uh, early in the season and late in the season, we'll use the same exact tapered line, but it's in uh, one called a Titan taper, um, a full intermediate sonar Titan full intermediate. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty much just going to be used, um, early and late season. And that is due to the composition of the line. The line is built for cold water, um, has that, uh, rear runner, uh, is intermediate. So usually early and late in the season, the water is a little bit higher. Um, and you want to get flies down. Um, but what's cool about that whole family of lines is the, the, the taper profile is the same. Um, so you're not, you know, switching rods with clients and giving them a totally different taper, um, to be like, here, now learn this after you've used, uh, you know, that, that rod for two, three hours. Um, so that family of lines is, is kind of, uh, you know, what we build our program off of and, um, you know, all the guys run, run that stuff. So, uh, seven and eight weight intermediates, floating lines, uh, reel really doesn't matter. I yep. just use ultra, I use light reels like a uh, Nautilus X frame. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep it all light. You're going to be casting all day. This isn't a saltwater trip where you're standing on the bow, um, you know, making a few shots a day. This is you're chewing, you're, you're chewing up water a lot of times, especially when the water's high. So you want something light in hand that the guy can, uh, the angler can throw all day. Gotcha. Okay. And, and just for early late season. So what is, uh, when, when is that? When is the early season? When is the late season? Yeah, so we uh, we pretty much get on it as soon as we can. So as soon as the ice is gone and the river's breaking up, we're out there, you know, fishing middle of the day, uh, peak peak attempts. So that's usually uh, beginning of March. Okay. Um, on a normal year, we'll get cranking guiding March fifteenth. Yep. Um, kind of get a uh, the way the shop set up. We have a series of events and shows that kind of lead up to that mid March, and then mid March we pack the show trailer up and it's like, woo, it's, it's game time. So we're out there with this chainsaws cutting floats out, <laughs> and, um, yep. you know, trying to catch fish, but that time of year, you're really, uh, you're really, uh, right, right in the middle of the day. I mean, you got like a two hour window, maybe if you're lucky. Um, but usually around the end of March, it starts turning around and, uh, get some warm days and, uh, fish will kind of get off the, having to fish them with dumbbell eyed flies and doing a lot of like dredge and jig techniques. And then it'll move into more of a, a swim fly bite where they're, they're, you know, it's visual takes and you're, you're working flies that are very entertaining versus kind of getting into that robot mode where you're just dragging lead around, which is, you know, yeah. it's like watching paint dry, but, right. um, but yeah, so that's kind of how it goes. And then, so that's pretty much water temp oriented, right? So, 
we've caught them on fly in clo- close to freezing water, 34, mm. 35 degrees. You know, it's, it's possible they eat every day. Yeah. Um, but when, when it really takes off, you know, 40, we get happy 45, we're stoked, you know, by 45, it's like they're eating swim flies. You're getting visual eats. You're seeing fish active for usually a longer period during the day. You mm-hmm. might get a four or five hour window if you're lucky. So, um, that usually fires up, uh, beginning of April. And, uh, you know, by April 15th, we're pretty happy people and it's rocking and rolling and we're kind of hit our stride. That's it. And, and right now, as we're talking, we're, we're kind of in uh, mid May going into June. So this is just, I mean, we're, this is prime time right now. Yep. Prime time. So we have, uh, we're ahead of schedule still, uh, it kind of stalled out a little bit. We, I would say at one point we were probably three weeks ahead at least. Um, I mean, I, we, we had fish going on frogs on March 30th this year and up until up until this year the earliest I ever caught one on frog was April 23rd so uh, we were way ahead of schedule Um, but yeah right now I would say out of the six rivers I would say half of them are are post-spawn the other ones still have some fish lingering around beds some of the smaller fish that kind of go late Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's full on game time. We're just waiting for uh, mother nature to give us a little bit of rain and, uh, it'll even be better, but yeah, yeah. it's good. Rock catching every day. That's it. Yeah. So a little rain, that's what you always need. That kind of gets them going and gets them more active and allows you to, um, I guess, get closer to the fish. I mean, when you talk about these big fish, so if we're just thinking big fish, what's, um, for somebody I know, obviously talking to a guide and being there, but any tips on finding some of those big fish, if somebody's, uh, you know, new to the water? Like yeah, I mean, habitat and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you'll notice like you, you once you find a few and you, you you see that uh you know there's things that they like, you know, they obviously like uh structure, right? So, you know, a mature uh you know, and let me rewind a little bit. Some of the rivers that we guide, these fish lock into these areas and they're staying there, right? They're mm-hmm. not they're like get into an area like we're talking rivers that have mature wood and you know yeah. Then you have other rivers that just get these massive blowouts, just, just wipe the bank and they're just ever changing. Right. Yep. Um, and those, those fish, it's, again, it all goes back to the, you know, the fish is a product of its environment. So on some of these rivers that have these mature jams and whatnot, you'll find fish that you'll, you'll catch year after year in the same area. Um, where other rivers, um, it, there's not as much consistency with that. Yeah. Uh, you, you see them once or you catch them once and you never see them again in those spots. But if you're fishing a river that you're going to be mostly, most likely fishing on foot, um, you know, having a little bit of depth nearby, you know, they don't need much. I used to think they needed a lot more, but you know, you find a spot that's three or four feet deep. Uh, you find a spot with mature, uh, log jam. You find a spot that has, uh, you know, sun and shade and usually eventually you'll find a big fish and that that biggest fish will be in the the spot you would think it would be in but it's it's also the time of year right so like right now with the water being super low we're finding the biggest fish at the at the tail outs like you're almost mm-hmm. like after like one day of guiding and you're like all right man on to the next spot and you make two pushes of the oars and you look down the fish is like sitting in 10 inches of water on the far back end you're like damn i gotta adjust wow. i can't you know i can't be pushing out that early i gotta wait fishing out completely and then other days you know the water's high they're right up at the front just get gobbling up every you know thing that comes over that lip so it's all it's all yeah. about i could tell you i could tell you all you want to hear dave but right you know it, what it all comes down to is just putting your time in yeah. like with anything Conditions. and and 
Yep. And, and figuring it out for each time. And again, I learn new stuff every day. That's right. And, and are you guys with, with the boat? First of all, on your boat, what are you using? What's your, what's your boat of choice? Yeah. So everybody uh, on staff, when we are working, our work boats are a Klaka craft, um, head hunter three sixties. So, um, skiff style. Oh, uh, skiff style. Yep. Yep. Yeah. F- 15 footers. You don't need the, you know, full McKenzie out here to really, yep. There's, there's really nothing crazy to, to run, uh, in our area on any of our rivers. Uh, I want something that's fairly narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can, as I told you, the rivers are fairly small, so you get into some hairy spots with, with log jams and whatnot. I want something that's light. Um, you know, I can drag that boat around. Yeah. Uh, I can drag it over a log jam. If I got, you know, old, old dude, I want to put on the bank and be like, dude, I got to get it over this log jam. I can do it myself. Yeah. Um, that's huge. So yeah, Clack has always been good to me. Other great boats out there, um, you know, to, to get into. I actually have an Adipose that I run oh, yeah. when I go goof goof off with my buddies. Um, it has like casting decks on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so can't really put clients up on that. But no, <laughs> when you you know, so um, but yeah, those those are kind of the primary primary boats. I need something light. I need something uh, you know durable. We we grind these things into the ground. I I sell my boat pretty much every year or two. All right. Um, just cause the rivers just, that's what they do to them. And, and I hate fishing out of rafts. They're just yeah. uncomfortable and, yep. and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, man, drift boats, small drift boats, put a little four horse kicker on them if you need to get around and scoot around with huh. a little, put a little Yami on the back and rip around. But, um, yeah, man, that's our setups. You and, go. you know, well, I think one thing that I've worked for other, you know, I worked at the you know, lodge and whatnot. And I'd say one thing that's really, really unique about our team and the, the guides is, we all pretty much run the same program. We're all on the, you know, same, same lines, same leader builds, you know, everyone's got their own unique flies and whatnot, but, um, same boats, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool to have everybody on the same page and agree that this, these are the best tools for the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. And when you guys are out there, are you pretty much anchoring up on, on water and kind of fishing it hard? Or are you guys moving more? No, you're, you're, the boat is moving, uh, the whole time. Yeah. Um, the oars, the, the guy on the sticks plays a huge role, uh, in the whole program of how you're, you're dropping the boat down and how you're positioning the boat. Um, no surprise there from someone that's into it, but I do see occasionally anglers fishing around here and they're just, you know, having a good time. It's all good. But like you look at the way that they're approaching specific spots or the speed in which the boat is moving and you're like, that dude ain't got a prayer, Yeah, (laughs) you know, um, yeah. You know, it's all good. Everyone's out there for different reasons, but if you want to catch the big ones, you really got to be on your, yeah. um, knowing where to have the boat and the speed in which it's moving. And then it, it changes, it changes with the flies, it changes with the presentation. You know, what do you, what do you do after you hook that giant fish? You know, right. <laughs> it's just a lot of, a lot of, a lot yeah. of factors. That's right. Yeah. How do you, how, how do you do that? So once you, so you get this trophy fish, this giant fish on, well, what's, what's the secret? I mean, what's it take us there? How, how is that person landing that fish? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, and I, this is something that I always preach, um, you know, I, and I've done the, I've done a lot of, I've, I've taken the techniques that I use on these small rivers and use them on bigger rivers. Um, you know, just breaking, breaking the river down and not looking at it as a giant river, looking at it as a smaller piece of water and kind of dissecting it. But I think the biggest thing, um, you know, and again, no surprise for other people to listen to other podcasts is that is just the angle, right? So, um, the way that smallmouth bass eat the fly, um, you can hook them when you're throwing it off the side of the boat. You can hook them when you're throwing some upstream, you know, bringing it down. 
you know, old, like Kelly Gallup, Bob Lindsman, modern streamers or trophy trout, that kind of mm-hmm. uh, mentality uh, or that style. It works. You can get them to eat. Um, but getting the, the positive hooks at into them and getting, you know, them pinned is very difficult from off the, off the side and very difficult when the fly is moving downstream. It's something mm-hmm. to do with the way that they eat, um, the way that they take the fly. And that, that you can, don't get me wrong, you can hook them that way, but it's going to take an experienced angler that kind of understands, um, you know, how long you need to wait and just, you know, there's a lot of factors there right. as well. But the biggest thing I always tell people is, you know, you're fishing that fly. It doesn't matter if it's a frog, it's a terrestrial, it's a booga bug, it's a game changer, it's a swing and D, whatever you're fishing, you're going to be much better off if you're fishing on a 45 down or at times even greater. Hmm. Um, you know, it's smaller waters, uh, it's more stealthy to kind of approach them that way. Um, the, the spots that we're fishing, even with high water are fairly small. You're not tracking these flies at great distance. Um, you're getting the fly out there, you're fishing it for, you know, six, seven strips at the most, sometimes two or three, depending on, you know, what's going on. Um, and then when, when the fish does eat it, uh, the vast majority of the time, a small mouth of it's eating it on a, on a 45 down is going to grab it. It's going to turn and it's either going to go, a big fish is going to go right into the wood or a smaller fish is usually going to come across the bow and go to deeper water yeah. in the middle. So you're going to get a hook, positive hook set. The fish is going to get the slack out of the line if there is any slack in it for you. Um, and if you, you got them at that point, pretty much, if you That's get a it. positive hook set, yeah. So what I do most of the time with these big fish is, um, I will, uh, you know, obviously I'm paying the time. I'm a stander. I stand the whole day. I watch the flies work. I mean, it's like, I'm getting paid to fish. Like I just, it's, that's the part I enjoy the most seeing the eat, seeing the fish react to the fly. So sometimes I feel guilty being out there cause I don't have to do any of the work except row the boat and I get <laughs> the, you know, get all the benefit of the, of the visuals. Um, but what I'll do is, uh, you, you set the hook. I'm, I'm, I'm positive that you got the fish pinned. You, you did, you did your job. Uh, I'll have the angler get the fish under control. I'm never putting the the line on the reel. That drives me nuts. Mm. Uh, don't put the line on the reel, pin the fish. You got it. I would say the lightest tippet outside of that terrestrial stuff. When we're going, going super technical, uh, lightest tippet I'll run is 12. So I'm using 12 pound fluorocarbon, 16 or 20. You got that fish pinned. I'm confident you got it. I'm going to say, all right, man, I'm going to push into it now. And I will close that gap to the fish, uh, angler stripping down, yep. keeping tight. And then I'll, uh, you know, a, a fish of that caliber. Yeah. It's great to have them jump and do all kinds of crazy stuff, but like, I want to get that fish in the bag as soon as possible. You know, I'm yep. not going to let them run and take you into a log jam or wrap you on something, you know? And then we're like, oh man, you, that was a giant and we didn't have a chance to, you know, you can mess around with the small ones. Let's get the big ones mm-hmm. <laughs> in the bag. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much one of the major se- you know, secrets, I guess, to it is get the fish pinned, get the fish under control and then use the boat to close the gap and, gotcha. and steer that fish away from obstructions. Yeah. Get them away. Get them away. And then, so I guess going back to that 45 degree, so you're talking about just kind of 45 down and across and kind of swinging it or just or letting it swing slowly. Talk about that. Are you swinging it? Are you stripping it? What are you doing? Yeah. So it just depends on the time of year uh, and how much water, you know, is in the river, but you know, early season, um, you know, you, and when it's high, you might have these little cuts and, you know, little soft areas we might, we call refer to them as couch water. Yeah. Um, 
And those fish are going to be really active where that fly hits the water and you might get one or two and it's just going to get clobbered. Right. Mm. Then you have other situations where you're going to work the fly longer in the presentation. Um, but it's still not going to, you're, you're still not retrieving it at great distance, right? You're more working it in the zone. So for those of you guys out there that are familiar with the swing and D, which is one of the flies, uh, templates that we, we fish a lot, you know, that fly isn't a fly that you're really retrieving back as much as you're kind of bopping it around a small area. And then what the guide is doing or the rower is doing is they're you know, positioning you to maybe drop that fly into a zone versus you're not really swinging it, but you're just kind of keeping it in the zone and moving it. Cause that fly has a neutral buoyancy to it. So it'll just kind of flutter around and it's real unpredictable. And you're kind of walking that fly into a spot, you know, it could be a, a log jam that's, you know, angled towards the middle of the river downstream, or you've got a nice little bubble line, or maybe you've got some, when the water's low, you might have some, uh, you know, a collection point of, you know, seeds and leaves and all kinds of stuff. And you're walking that fly across that, um, you know, and they'll come out from under that stuff and just, just dust it. And, you know, usually in those situations, they're just turning and going right back into the woods. You're following through with a, you know, low rod angle, stripping down on them and just trying to turn them and get them out of that stuff. But it's bass fishing, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it, bass it fishing, is, right. it's, it's bass fishing. You're bass fishing on moving water with fly tackle and, um, you know, if you want to let them run around, you're not going to land as many. No, so especially the big ones. Keep them under control. And you also mentioned no, uh, no line on the reel. So that's basically just because you're trying to close the gap and you couldn't reel that fast. To, is that why you do that? Yeah, there's really no reason. I mean, what are you going to let the thing you know pull drag on your, you know? I mean, they just they're they're more of a down and dirty bulldog fighter, you know, kind of. They're not going to go on runs. Um, one exception to that would be when you're hooking them in really skinny water on those terrestrials. reels that's when the game is like, it's a different level. Like you've got to be on it because a, a, a fish like that on three X just, just zipping across 10 inches of water. I mean, it's, you ain't turning it, you, ain't, you know, <laughs> half yeah. the time when I hook them, I jump out of the boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My if I'm out fun fishing, you know, it's like, dude, just get you out of the equation. I'm going in. <laughs> and now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, surfers, and paddlers of all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. They design and handcraft every product in the USA, ensuring everything they make is from the highest quality materials with careful attention to detail. I've been using Sawyer products for a long time now, which is why I'm definitely excited to share them with you on the podcast here. I've been down some crazy technical whitewater and mis- uh, mini fishing adventures that put me in places that were um, where I had to make a good move. And I, I love the design, the power, the performance, and always knowing that um, I can count on that stroke, even when you need to make you know that one to get past the rock or whatever. You can always count on Sawyer for that. And you can count on them as well. Sawyer products are designed by paddlers, oarsmen, and surfers alike to fully meet your performance needs. Pick up one today and experience the feel of water. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to get started. Okay, now let's get back to the show. 
that's kind of the fun thing I know some of our, we kind of have a fun river we do. And I mean, there'll be times we'll be out there just messing around, jumping in with the fish, swimming with them, you know, kind of watching them underwater with the snorkel and mass. You guys ever do anything kind of crazy, all that stuff? Is it, is it kind of, do you have any of those opportunities to get in with you the could. fish? You could. Yeah. Yeah, you could, but the time of year that you'd want to do oh, it right. it's cold. Early, yeah. early season and it's freezing. Yeah, yeah so. that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm um, talking about a river that's, yeah, I'm talking about a river that's like, uh, whatever it is, 60, 70 degrees. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No yeah, doubt. Different deal. Okay. And then, um, and then on the leader, just quickly go through, you mentioned 12 pound floral card. Is the, is it, is the leader itself, the full leader important? Talk about how you, how you put that together, what you use. Yeah. So obviously everyone's got their, you know, their ways of, of, you know, building the leader. I mean, if you can do whatever you want, but what I, what I do is I run, um, the, off the intermediates, I'll run a, a 30 pound butt section of floral carbon. I, like I said, I use the saltwater stuff, stuff that's, that's fairly stiff and abrasion resistant. So I'll go 40, I'll go 30, 25, 20. And then I usually, my go-to would be 16. Yeah. And that's just kind of my setup. If I, if I wasn't using 16, I was going down to 12. I would just tie the 12 off the 20 and call it done. But, uh, yeah. You know, back in the day when I was guiding, you know, total beginners and stuff, you know, a short leash would be like four foot. Okay. You know, nowadays I'm probably in the seven to eight foot range most of the time. Yep. Seven. Um, I'm, yeah. Yeah. On my build and okay. I'm, I'm hand building all of it. I'm, I'm, you know, I think leaders are great, you know, if you're going trout fishing and dry fly fishing, but I think that's one part of the game it doesn't matter if you're saltwater fishing, you're musky fishing, you're smallmouth fishing, you, you need to build your own leaders. Um, yeah. makes a huge, makes a huge difference. Yeah. Wh- why is that? Because I, I kind of, I've always done that as well. And I, and I'm not sure I was just taught that way, but why, why is building a leader better than just buying one off the shelf? Oh, because the, just the variation in flies you're going to be fishing. So, you know, you throw a hair frog, it's going to be different, you know, that's going to act different than if you're throwing a boogle bug, you know, it takes a different leader. Uh, to do that. If you really want to fine tune it, don't get me wrong. You can go out and saw away and have fun. As long as it turns over, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there with that school of thought. It's like, as long as it turns over, I'm happy. It's like, but if you really want to be nerdy about it and dial it in, you know, each fly is unique weight and yep. each line's different. Each rod's going to behave different. And, um, you're just going to have, you'll be able to, it's like fly tying. It's like, do you tie flies? No. Okay. Well, you're going to be limited. Yeah. Right. If you right. tie flies, you, you can do some stuff. Um, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a big part of the game. Yeah. I want to talk about that just, just, uh, quickly on the flies as well. So you've mentioned a number of different flies, but is there a specific, if you are a fly tire, like on the design of some of these flies, maybe we can dig into some of those swimmers. What would be a good pattern? You know, let's say you got water, I guess it's shallower, fish are more active. What fly are you putting on there? And talk about the design of one of those flies. Yeah. So I, you know, if you want to get into the, you know, what I think is the interesting stuff is just kind of the modern swim flies, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, you're tying these things for the conditions. So, um, I mentioned it earlier, but one thing that I, I never get bored with when it comes to guiding and, and whatnot is like, I just, my, I just prepare a ton. So like this time of year, the last two months, pretty much every night, or morning, I'm tying a bug or two for a fly or two for the day. Right. And it's funny to look at like how they change just with water levels and clarity and what river I'm going on and what section I'm on. Um, so I'm tying pretty much 
for the conditions. And again, like we talked about, like every year is different. So the fly I used last year on this you know day is not the same as, as this year. And you're just constantly evolving. Um, fly tying allows you to, to do that, right. It allows you to kind of, that's our one advantage we have over the fish is we can observe and we can change and we can come with a different approach the next day. Um, but, uh, just pretty much Blaine chocolates game changer platform, yeah. right? Yep. So, uh, Blaine's a good friend of mine, great dude, great angler, great mind, especially at the vice, just off the charts. Um, but his, his game changer concept, um, we didn't know each other when we knew of each other, but we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. But around the same time I was tying a fly, working on a fly called this. It eventually became the swing and D mm-hmm. um, the way that I fish it now or the way that I tie it now is totally, you know, because of what I learned from Blaine, but the concept of the fly was there. It was, you know, I guess an early swim fly. Um, and then I met Blaine and, just the the stuff just blew my mind and just that's where i where my fly tying and creativity really took off was with with uh you know the information and and him showing me what's up but yeah i mean the changers like uh, boxes of them man i just like i'm always tinkering and and changing you're doing hybrids you're doing combinations of things that you learned when you're when the dredge flies were the thing like you know tip the cap to like russ madden Kelly, all those guys kind of gave us the template, the, you know, the rubber legs on the flies. And now I'm just kind of, I'm always evolving and changing and, and, and blending, you know, old you know, stuff that I learned from other people, obviously, but putting them in to apply to our rivers. Um, so just the changer platform in general, I'm always tweaking that and whatnot, but like super low, clear water, I would like to use something that's, uh, you know, has some, tr- uh, translucency to it. Like, uh, Renzetti, our distribution, they make a brush called Translucy. I've been using mm-hmm. that a ton. Um, Blaine's got some products through Hairline that are like a translucent, uh, you know, body wrap. Um, so when the water's super low and clear, I'm going tans, I'm going whites, I'm going maybe light olives. I, I'm a big fan of of flies that I can my, I can see and my clients can see. If they can see it, they're going to be uh, engaged and they're going to be entertained, entertained. Right. So, um, they're going to be more, uh, more tuned into the fly. If they're just robot casting something that's boring, right. It, it's, it's not going to really, it, it adds to the experience. So the game changer adds to the experience of the fishing. Definitely. So like er, that, uh, the, the low clear, I'm going small, I'm going three inches, but as we, you know, as the water gets higher and muddier and dirtier and the fisher in that, you know, pre-spawn, just super aggressive, you can get crazy. You can get yellows, chartreuses, um, and then you'll, va- you'll vary the, the weights of the flies, um, through materials or through lead wraps, uh, in the way it keels. Or if you need something really heavy, you put like a, t- build a tungsten bead into the, into the head where you can't even see it. It's just hidden within the fly. Um, but you use different materials, different style brushes, you know, brushes are all the rage these days. You can get them in every d- dang color, but, yep. um, unless you, unless you play with them and tie with them, you, you really need, uh, you know, you really don't know what they do. Um, so like a brush, like, uh, Enrico Pluglisi's crustace- crustaceous brush, like that brush is kind of airy. And it, if you use it for a head, it kind of has a rebounding effect where it's kind of, it just kind of kicks. And if you, if you cut it and trim it the right way, it'll give you a wide, like wounded minnow. Whereas you could take a brush from R and D like the, uh, what's it called? Uh, sculpting brush where it has more pass through, right? So the water doesn't right. push around it, but it passes through it. That's going to give you a more of a tight, 
uh, natural bait fish, uh, you know, action to the fly in, in a lot of situations. Um, if you guys haven't picked it up, Blaine's book, the game changer, yeah. right? He talks about the tapers, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's all important. So there's some, there's some absolutely hideous game changer flies that I see out, you know, posted and you're like, I know, I understand the guy's working on it. He's, he's, yep. he's doing his thing. He's a new fly tire, but like, it ain't going to swim. No, <laughs> It's going to look terrible. That, that's it. And I'll put a link to, to the, uh, uh, Blaine's book in the show notes as well. But talk about that, the game changer, the platform really quick, just for somebody who maybe yeah. isn't familiar with it. What, what is it? What makes that unique over what, you know, was done before that? Yeah. So, I mean, back in the day, it was like, you know, you looked at like Russ Madden circus peanut or some of the, you know, gallop flies. Um, they're, they're all great. They're built for that type of environment where you're going down the river, you're bank shooting, boom, 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 you know, machine gun fishing mm-hmm. where we're fishing slower currents. We're fishing, you know, you need something just a little bit more, you know, to kind of uh, trigger these fish. Um, and what it is, it's a series of spines, right? So Blaine had the idea of like looking at swim baits and things that were happening in the conventional end of things. Um, and you, you break those plastic or, you know, whatever hybrid rubber baits down and they all have a spine uh, of, of, of wire running through them. Mm. Right. So they can, and they connect in various different ways depending on, you know, manufacturer, but the concept is there. It's like, this is it. This is like, why are we, you know, I got a lot of inspiration when I first started by going to Bass Pro and Cabela's and looking yeah. at the, you know, the gear, like that's, you know, look, why reinvent the wheel? You already have, they've laid the roadmap. You just got to adapt it to with natural materials or synthetics. But anyways, the game changer, it could be, you know, a, a two hooked fly. It could be a single hooked fly, um, but you're going to use a series of shanks. It's now widely available for multiple companies, but you know, the original company that kind of came out with the, sh- the shanks through Blaine was Flyman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have a 10, you have a 15, you have a 20, you have a 25, and then they have a whole bunch of different sizes, but you can, you make this, this fly into, you know, a swimming creature and you get different actions and different attributes to the flies by using different materials. You know, do you want it to sink fast? Do you want it to sink slow? Do you want it to swim perfectly in line like a natural minnow? Do you want it to look like it's wounded? And you play with these materials and, you know, it's, it's arts and crafts for adults. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. You got to play with it. And, and my, my program, my flies, they, they change a lot from year to year with new materials. And, you know, sometimes you want stuff that's bright and, and has a lot of pop to it. Sometimes you want to mute it down. So possibilities are endless. It's just a, a very fun template. Um, and you know, it's going to be expanded upon no doubt. And you know, it's, it's going to the woolly bugger of, uh, yeah. of 2000 and whatever it That's came right. out, 12, yeah, yeah. 11. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The yeah. woolly bugger. The woolly, does the woolly bugger still work out there? Or do you ever use like a woolly bugger type basic pattern like that? I, I don't, um, you know, I mean, I, I just don't, it's yeah. just, it's personal preference. Would it work? Hell yeah. It work, yeah. works everywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the most simple flies, it just goes out and catches. And, and if you, you know, you can fish it with lead, you can fish it unweighted. It's just a simple rabbit strip leech. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I want to feed, feed my family. Give me a, give me a pack of black rabbit and some hooks. That's Let's right. go get them. That's right. Make it easy. Well, uh, I wonder before, uh, you know, we start to kind of wrap this up here, I was curious on, you know, just casting. Do you have a, maybe a tip or two? I'm thinking, you know, somebody's casting these giant flies that must be, especially yeah. for a new angler. How do you help that person cast the thing? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, obviously you got to build the, the base cast before you try to get crazy and do other stuff. But, um, 
Uh, you know, I've heard you know, we refer to it around here as, as gravity casting or, you know, like almost like a Belgian cast where you're, you know, you're coming underneath and you're over the top and the fly never stops moving. You know, you're not going to come back and just hammer a, you know, a hard back cast and just jam the brakes on and watch that rod tip just wobble and do its thing. Um, so, you know, the fly never stops moving. It's an elliptical, you know, mm-hmm. motion, uh, to the cast. And, um, for those that are very, uh, you know, proficient in fly casting, it's, it's pretty easy to pick up. Um, but, uh, you know, I always tell people when they're, they're coming out here to fish with us, if you're, you're going out and we want, we're trying to catch trophy fish, uh, you gotta be able to cast off your backhand. You have to be proficient with the backhand cast. You have to be proficient with casting at various rod angles. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's super important. So, um, practice, practice, practice. You're, you're an archer, you're shooting arrows, you're a golfer, you're going to the driving range. If you're a fly fisherman and you can't get on the water multiple times a week, you need to be, have a rod set up that you can step out in the backyard or go to your local park and uh, take it for a rip. But don't just work on your just basic, you know, I learned this at the, you know, Orvis 101 fly fishing school. You need to, um, become a complete angler and, and learn different angles and whatnot. And, uh, with those shorter headlines, uh, you know, 33, 43 foot heads, you can zing them. You mm. can really zing them when you get your timing down. And, yeah. um, there's a lot, lot of, uh, you know, th- there's a the right tool for the job. You can, you can find it. Is that the key? You're kind of opening up your cast a little bit and, and, or is it, is the line more of the key? Just having the right line to cast those big flies. Right line, right rod. Yeah. Yeah. The rod's a huge thing. What rod do you do you guys like to go with there? So I use uh, like all my guiding rods are uh, G Loomis IMX Pro um, one pieces. Oh wow! So I use I use the one piece seven and one piece eight a lot. Um, uh, eight foot ten inch. So um, having said that, uh, bit, uh, there's an announcement coming on June first uh, for a little project that. Uh, we've been working on over the last couple of years and, uh, it's finally going to get released to the wild. So oh, cool. stay tuned for that. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you, uh, that what you had coming. So that's good to hear. Well, let, let's just kind of wrap this up. I usually do the two twenty two just quickly to take us out of here. The uh, top two tips, top two flies, top two resources. And we've kind of talked about a lot of this already, I think, but you know, again, if you had to pick two flies, what would be your go-to? And I know there's a lot of variation and, and I don't know if you want to focus on, like we start at the start, the Huron in low water conditions, but what would you, what would you be going with or, or even today? Yeah, I would say, uh, two, two flies like for me, if going out chasing trophy fish, um, is going to be a swinging D 2.0, uh, which is one of my flies just, uh, it's a hybrid between the, the original swinging D and the game changer. Uh, that'd be, uh, a fly that I can fish at various depths. I can put a keel on it. Um, I can vary the, the length of the leader uh, and I could fish that fly up on the surface all the way down to say four feet. Um, that's what we need in our rivers. The second fro- uh, second would be uh, Dahlberg uh, diving frog. Mm. So like, you know, a Dahlberg diver style head uh, in a frog uh, pattern um, that is going to be, you know, a straight killer for big fish. So um, those two are my, are my two flies. I definitely say a, a frog and a, yeah. uh, you know, game changer style swing and D fly. Gotcha. And on those frogs, are you fishing those, uh, different levels throughout the year? Is that something you always kind of have handy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I mentioned earlier, but 
earliest I've ever seen them now is March 30th. That's crazy. I heard peepers on March 15th and two weeks later, that's kind of my rule of thumb. You'll start getting them on frogs. But yeah, by the end of end of, by the middle of the end of April, uh, frogging is, is a go and that'll go all the way till September, uh, maybe even early October on warm years. Um, and then the swim fly stuff, it's all water temp oriented. It's 40, 40 degrees and up. Gotcha. And that's, that's an option all the time. You just change the, the size of the fly. Nice. Nice. All right. And uh, a couple of tips. I know you've thrown out there some awesome ones already, but anything else you would throw out there? Maybe that, that person that's kind of new to the area. Yeah. N- number one is, is keep the fly out front. Um, you got to keep it out front of the boat. Uh, if you want to get good and get consistent at, at this, don't, uh, uh, really pay attention to conditions. Conditions are everything um, just because the river is famous or, you know, well-known or you like a stretch of water because it looks pretty or it's easy to get to uh, doesn't necessarily mean you need to be there that day. Um, so intimate knowledge of flow rates, um, knowledge of, uh, you know, points uh, in the river where maybe uh, they receive, uh, you know, off-colored water, uh, creek influences and whatnot, uh, knowing, you know, that from that Creek down when it rains like crazy, he's going to be blown out. But from that Creek up, it's not, you know, little, little things like that. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, like you just need to be on it, you got to spend a ton of time on it. So, yep. um, you know, early season, we got to have a joke. It's like, you're, you're going, going early and you're, you're in guide mode. And, and, you know, once you, you get, you get it really rolling, you, it turns to God mode. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you, you know, you have a really good plan and you know where the fish are going to be. And it's just a matter of the client executing and yeah, uh, you'll get the, get the job done. That's cool. How far on, on the cast does that person have to cast if they're coming on your, is, is it like, are we talking Not, about 30, 40 feet? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you can, you can pump out 30, 40 feet, um, over casting is a big thing on our rivers. You know, you get anglers out that are really proficient and, uh, they want to show you what they got. Right. It's like, dude, like, you know, I, like I can, one thing that's unique about these waters, um, is if, if, even if you're not the greatest angler, if I can get you out 30 feet, um, sometimes you will do better than the guy that can throw 70 or 80 feet, just because you may listen and you may be able to dial in that shorter cast. And uh, you're not overcasting and putting fish down that you don't see smallmouth bass, even in clear water are extremely well camouflaged and, uh, you know, they're just look like from above. I've seen them on, you know, drone footage and whatnot. They look like rocks, Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's cool. and, uh, you, you know, so overcasting is, is a big thing. And, uh, you know, as a guide, you really need to harness, uh, the angler and, and take, uh, their, you know, their, their skill level. And, and even if it's really, really good and they got the bomb cast that they use and they go permit fishing or whatnot, you gotta, you gotta harness that and, and keep them under control. Right on. And, uh, yeah. And then sticking on this, the, uh, resources, I, I get, sounds like maybe you guys have some good resources. Anything else you'd recommend that uh, maybe isn't your own stuff that's out there that somebody could dig deeper into all this? Yeah. I mean, dude, there's so much stuff out there. I think more is, is, is wading through and filtering through the bullshit. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yep. everybody's got an opinion these days. Everybody's, uh, you know, uh, wants that instant success and, um, you know, it's just, I guess, uh, you know, use, use your network. And if you don't have one, you know, try to align yourself with, with a good shop or, or, uh, you know, good people that can kind of point you in the right direction when it comes to your travel or your gear selection, um, that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a small mouth guy. So when I, 
want to go tarpon fishing or I want to go do something. I'm usually reaching out to people that know a lot about that. I'm not really going and searching, you know, uh, articles online written by, no. you know, some, some guy in North Dakota writing about permit fishing. Right. In Belize. It's like, you know, yeah. you got to go to the source. So yeah, just kind of wading through all the, the modern and, and, and finding, uh, you know, the, the, the good stuff. Um, when it comes to angling, uh, you know, I, I, this is something that I experienced firsthand, you know, when I first started out, it's like the Schultz Outfitters didn't become Schultz Outfitters because Mike Schultz, um, you know, Schultz Outfitters became Schultz Outfitters because of the team. Um, and you know, if you can take that and kind of build yourself a little network of anglers, uh, people that will, uh, you know, obviously put their time in, uh, but share information, um, and not only share information, but share truthful information, uh, that's when people start making some real progress when you have multiple, uh, eyes on the water and yeah. people that you trust and people that you can get good Intel from. Um, you know, it's all about being at the right place at the right time and, uh, controlling the controllables <laughs> are pretty yeah. important, you that's know, cool. and, uh, you know, that's kind of a little tip I'd give you build a little, little crew of people that you can trust. Are, are you guys, um, are you guys, uh, do you put out like a fishing report on your website or any of that stuff? We don't. Yeah, we don't. It's pretty much if you pay attention, if you look at our Instagram stories, the pictures that are going up are on stories are all from that day. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of see what's going on. Gotcha. I think, you know, that's one thing in, in our industry that's kind of is lacking on some people's behalf is just authenticity and real time information. You know, like yeah. not a big, not a big fan of throwback Thursdays. Right, <laughs> right. Like, let's let's know what's happening now. I want to see what's happening now. You yeah. Know? So, um, I think that's your best judge of 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 a conditions when you when you look at Schultz Outfitters is look at the what's going on on the on the media because that is what's happening that day. Gotcha. So yeah. So if you go to your Instagram, you're going to see some photos. Do you guys break down? Uh, I mean, do you do much video or just kind of like uh, talk about you know flies and what's working in areas, or is this more just kind of uh, pics of fish and stuff like that? Yeah. It just picks fish. I mean, we will, we'll give it up, but I mean, it, again, it all just comes back to, you got to go out and experience it and see it and yeah. do it. And you know, it's, I can, I can tell you pretty much everything except, uh, my car shuttle driver's number and, uh, you know, where I'm floating that day, I'll tell you everything else. I don't care. But, uh, you know, I think Larry Dahlberg said it best, you know, if, if, uh, you know, you, these pe people ask all these crazy questions sometimes and you're like, man, I would never ask that question. Like, I just know that that's just kind of like the unwritten rule. You don't ask that stuff. But like the best way to look at it is like angling is all about like that sense of discovery. Right. And like that is when it finally clicks and you start putting things together and you, you put in the sweat equity, that's when you get the reward. It's not when you pay you know, X amount of dollars to go on a guide trip and Schultz, he puts you on a fish that he's no, you know, I know is there. That's, I mean, that's cool. You got the picture and you yep. have the experience, but like, if you really want to go out and earn it, you know, that's it, the sense of discovery is, is, is what it's all about. And you know, what Larry says, to these people is just like, Hey, you know, if I took that from you, I, you know, I, I would feel pretty bad. You know, that that's, that's the joy of angling. So, uh, you know, that's very, it's very true. And, and, uh, you know, I think in the, in this, this modern world of instant gratification and instant information and stuff, like there's still some organic stuff out there where you have to go out and actually put in the work and, and actually do it and experience it. And in the end, you'll be better off. 
That's right. Yeah, I love that. I think that's an amazing way to leave this because I think yeah, you can't forget about that with all this Instagram stuff and everything. You can't forget the fact that literally the outdoors and the river and, and being curious and observant. And, and I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Right. You're, you could you could look at Instagram all day. Um, but yeah, it's pretty funny that the world we're in, it's kind of I mean, you guys have the Instagram thing. I mean, obviously you have a business, so you kind of have to have that. But if it wasn't for the business, would you be on social media at all? Probably not. I would have a, you know, private account that my family can go on and see pictures of my kids and, and that kind of stuff. But no, I mean, it's just, uh, it's pretty wild. It's changed the world rapidly. And, uh, obviously, you know, I, I don't feel that it's changed it for the better. Not for the better, <laughs> not for the better. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, t- it takes us, it actually takes us out. I mean, it's interesting because we're on this podcast. This is obviously built on, on the space, but I totally agree. Right. I think that, you know, it just takes us out. It just takes us away from the whole idea of what we're trying to do is to mm-hmm. get away from the electronics. You know, that's, that's the, the, the goal. No doubt. That's the goal. No doubt, man. Cool. All right. Uh, all right, Mike. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, you know, we never we can dig into everything, but I appreciate that. And uh, going back to, you mentioned the June. So is that the biggest thing coming up where we can expect June first? Because by the time this goes out, this actually is going to be released probably after that point. So if you, um, any other hints you want to give us there, or are we just going to wait on this yeah. thing? Yeah, we're going to wait on. I, I actually checked in with the boss, man. He said, you got to hold up. So, uh, <laughs> All right. So, we're close. Yeah, so Ju- yeah, June 1st, it's dropping. Um, you know, check out your uh, your local uh, G. Loomis dealer or check out uh, Schultz Outfitters. Uh, give us a call. Um, you know, we're kind of old school cool where we don't have uh, the, the massive e-com store where you actually have to call. Oh, right. You got to talk to a human that actually fishes. What a concept. Yeah. Huh? Uh, everybody that works at the store is a uh, full-blown fish head uh, lives the lifestyle yep. you know is there for the right reasons and uh you know whether it's Corey or greg senyo or jesse or carter or jack or matt or whoever you talk to or myself yeah um you know you can be sure that that guy has been on the water in the last few days and is on it and ties flies and understands so yep. um you know got a pretty amazing team tip my hat to those guys and uh yeah give us a shout Okay, we'll do it. And, and the number, we can just go, look, go to your website. Is there a good number they can call if somebody wanted to connect with you right now? Yeah, yeah. 734-544-1761 is the shop. Um, team, T-E-A-M, at SchultzOutfitters.com is, uh, or, you know, is, is the email address that uh, gets monitored 24-7. So, uh, yeah, if you guys, uh, I'm the one that answers all the direct messages on IG. Um, so, you know, hit me up. I'll, uh, I'll give you my time and uh, give you my uh, honest opinion. All right. All right, Mike. Hey, thanks for all your time and looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Take care, bud. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links and everything else we covered today, just head over to wetflyswing.com slash 229. That's 229, 229. Please take a moment, if you can, and subscribe to the show. This helps others find the show and lets all the apps out there know that people are listening. Click that subscribe button, hammer that subscribe button, and uh, and show your support and help us find and help a few more anglers out there find a few more smallmouth bass. That would be amazing. That's pretty much it today. That's a wrap. That's all I have for you. I want to let you jump on to your next podcast. If you're like me, you have a few lined up and ready to go. So I appreciate you for hanging on to the very end and don't want to stop you from that next big podcast. If you get a chance, please uh, check in with me on Instagram at wetflyswing and just let me know uh, how things are going and send me a DM. I'd love to hear or an app mention of what podcast you're listening to other than 
other than this one. Um, give a shout out if it's this one, but uh, I'd love, I'm always interested in checking out new shows as well. So if you have one, something cool, it doesn't have to be fly fishing. Uh, I kind of listen to a lot of everything. Uh, so I would love to hear what you have going. Thanks again and looking forward to checking in with you on the river or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.